Welcome all you back of the napkin ninjas, you elevator pitch artists, build a jet while you fly at school of hard knocks heroes, dreamers, doers, join us in the foxhole, in the arena of life. This is the Grand Plaster Podcast, a show about innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders, and the origin stories that made them who they are today. Everybody, I'm here with Joe Billingsley. Welcome, Joe. Hey, thanks, Graham. So, Joe, uh, tell me about your origin story. How did you get started? How did it lead you to where you are in your career today? Um, well, I uh, I took a, a journey uh, through uh, through the army. Uh, originally from Stamford, Connecticut, um, grew up um, loving history and particularly European history. I, uh, I went to the University of Connecticut. I studied that history. Um, I was there on an Army ROTC scholarship. Um, and then when I graduated, I became a Signal Corps officer in the Army on active duty and got myself stationed over in Europe. So I was actually able to put some of that um, European history knowledge to good use in, in interacting with, uh, with foreign armies and, and populations pretty effectively. Um, and, uh, and also, like I mentioned, you know, being a Sigma Corps officer, the army invested a lot in my training and education, um, with all things related to technology and networks and, and IT, um, took an approach of, um, of leaving the, the focus on, on that technology for a time and focusing on strategy and policy. Um, when I was in Iraq, I, uh, it was during the surge. Um, I was part of the first armored division there. And, um, and there was something going on called the brain drain. Um, and where a lot of young officers, um, such as myself were getting out of the army, uh, just when the military and the nation needed their service, um, in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. And uh, Joe, what were some of the factors for, you know, people that were leaving? Do you remember? Cause I, I that was happening in the Navy too. I remember that at that mm -hmm. time. Well, you know, a lot of folks didn't like the idea of, of deploying, um, often or for as long as they did. Um, I know the army, I think had it worse as far as time, um, in, uh, conflict zones. Like I was in Iraq for a 15 month deployment. Um, I know some of the other services had a much, much uh, uh, quicker stints there, like, uh, you know, three month deployment. I think uh, a lot of my Air Force colleagues there at the time experienced that. Um, and, you know, there's pros and cons with, with all different approaches, but I think a lot of um, folks in, in my generation and our generation um, you know, that wasn't necessarily what they originally signed up for um, when they were uh, when they were signing their, their name on the dotted line for an ROTC scholarship or an academy, um, you know, student slot years ago before 9-11. 9-11 um, happened while I was still um, a sophomore in college. Um, so, you know, if I wanted to, I, I could have backed out, um, but I was definitely committed uh, to service to our nation, however it was needed. So actually, while I was at school um, and after 
uh, September 11th happened, um, I shifted my, my studies to go from a very European uh, history focused one to be much more inclusive of uh, the Middle East and Islam. Um, so also studied um, languages of that region and really digging into the histories of that region to really understand some of these dynamics to set me up um, to better understand the environment that I would be operating within. And, and actually it worked out um, pretty well. Maybe on a future podcast um, or article, I'll share some, some of those war stories, if you will. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so during that, uh, that period of that brain drain, the army did something that they hadn't in, um, they said forever, um, which was offer some uh, uh, re-up uh, retention bonus type of options to, to those young officers to sign in for three more years to provide that type of continuity that, that was really needed uh, to be an effective force on the ground, which was a very high priority at the time. I mean, at the time, there were a lot of folks getting blown up with IEDs. The MRAPs were just coming online. A lot of, um, a lot of things happening on the ground, if you will, still very much a hot zone. <clears throat> so um, the options that they, they offered, um, one was a cash bonus of something like $30,000. Another one was pick your next duty station, like Hawaii, for example, which wouldn't have been all that bad. Um, another was go to some uh, special school like airborne school or a language school um, like Defense Language Institute, um, which uh, appealing options there as well. Another was to uh, get sent to do your master's degree full time, uh, also another appealing option. Um, normally a very competitive um, type of program to, to be selected for in the Army. And then uh, finally was to change your branch or change your specialty area um, or for you Navy folks, a community. Um, and so I, I did some research. I did some soul searching uh, of what I, I really wanted. I could have gotten out um, after my initial tour and, and lived pretty comfortably um, where I was um, over in Europe, actually, um, but decided. And where to, in Europe were you at the time? Um, in, uh, in Germany, in the state of Hessen. Um, yeah, spent a lot of time uh, there. Um, actually, most of my 20s uh, spent over there in the state of Hessen. Uh, so good, good amount of uh, good amount of time and, and investment in the area, if you will. Um, <clears throat> so I decided to change my branch to the functional area 59. Uh, community or strategic plans and policy officer, later shortened to strategist. Um, and that was of great interest to me for a number of reasons, a lot of very interesting duty locations, um, a lot of very interesting education, basically guaranteed masters that would come with it. Um, so that really set, um, set the stage for, for the rest of my time um, with the military and, and the defense community in general. Um, and I've become much more interested in strategy as well, um, as opposed to, to tactics, really seeing that, you know, you could have the best tactic, tactics in the world, but if your strategy is bad, then it doesn't really matter how good your, your tactics are. It's just a waste. Uh, so you're coming out of Germany, you, you, you switch over to strategist. And at this point in time, like about how old are you? And, you know, are you 
Uh, are you still single? What's what's the uh, what are some of the drivers for you at that point? Yeah, I was in, uh, in my mid twenties at the time. Um, I was uh, married then to a, a former Soviet master concert pianist, uh, which uh, you know that opened up some uh, some insights into uh, you know the the European um, classical music scene, um, and also a lot of the dynamics of uh, you know the 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 fall of the Soviet Union and and you know what's going on in all of their su successor states, um, which as we see today with Ukraine is actually quite a, a relevant topic in the world still. Sure. I don't think it's uh, going away anytime soon either. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so from there um, came back to Germany, did all my good uh, army stuff, was commander and all, then had the opportunity to to go away to school. Um, I was selected as the first army, um, cyber scholar. Um, so I used that. So what, what was that? What, what allowed you to make the jump between strategist and cyber? Um, so when I was over at the Naval postgraduate school, well, before even going there, I went to the MI military intelligence captain's career course slash, um, advanced officer course, um, was trained as an intelligence professional there, stayed on there um, at Fort Huachuca in Arizona for the Signals Intelligence or SIGINT um, officer course, SIGINT and EW actually, um, which was very um, enlightening as far as a lot of different capabilities that are out there and, and a broader understanding of, uh, of, the, uh, of the, the environment, if you will. Um, then going on to the Naval Postgraduate School um, as a first Army Cyber Scholar, <clears throat> being one of the um, first people through their, their brand new MS program. It was an MS in Cyber Systems and Operations um, with a number of courses that were the top secret um, SCI level um, held in SCIFs and really focusing so much on uh, cyber operations, cyber warfare, um, and that really setting the stage for me to uh, to found the Military Cyber Professionals Association or MCPA um, as a byproduct of my of my research there at MPS. Um, <clears throat> what were some things that you were seeing that you know made you want to start uh, MCPA? So it was a it was really a a, a combination of, of a number of different um, factors kind of co coming together as a perfect storm. Um, I remember, you know, for for years seeing um, <clears throat> as a Signal Corps officer, um, the Signal Corps Regimental Association uh, serving a particular function um, and, and real need uh, for that community, uh, whether it was uh, providing a recognition program through their their uh, medal, um, holding different um, different conferences or balls. Um, having, you know, publications and all, um, really providing it, that means for people in that particular community to, to come together, um, establish and, and really cultivate their esprit de corps, um, take care of each other really, and, and also serve as a feedback mechanism um, to really help improve that, that particular community. And that tradition of having um, an association aligned to support a particular community or specialty area is uh, is extremely well established in the culture of, of the U.S. Army, 
Um, but my observation was that that was less prevalent in, uh, in some of the other services. Like, I know that there's the Naval Intelligence Association uh, for Naval Intelligence Officers, but um, not, um, not every single community had a, an aligned association. So um, I saw this as an opportunity to, uh, to establish that type of function um, in support of the, those who are doing cyber across, across all of the military services. Um, saw a need for better recruitment uh, better retention. Um, I definitely observed and lived through um, just seeing that we don't have enough people with the, the real depth of knowledge and understanding of the cyberspace domain that we really need to be as effective as, as, as we really should be as a force. So having this association designed in a way to really um, support all of these types of goals and efforts. Um, it, it was really a, a, an exciting opportunity and a hell of a lot of work. I mean, as you know, um, to stand up anything that's, you know, worthwhile and, and lasting is, is really, really a lot, a lot of investment on the part of the wow, family. You've done a fantastic job. I mean, Military Cyber Professionals Association has really taken off since you launched it. Uh, what year did you start it? 2012, 2013. So, uh, yeah, began uh, designing it um, 2012 and, and the first event um, over in Monterey um, in 2013. <clears throat> and yeah, it was really nice, uh, basically 10 years later um, in this year, 2022, as we're closing it, uh, to have our very first national convention and for that to be a, a really big success, in my opinion. Um, that was a nice way to kind of bookend the, the first chapter and the first decade of, of the organization. Um, a, it's a really interesting uh, practice that, you know, the Army has used these trade associations to issue medals. And I know you guys have a really cool one was the Order of Thor. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, the, the Order of Thor, um, you know, inspired by the mythological warrior, um, who's a god of thunder, you know, so he operates in and through the clouds um, and, uh, and wields the hammer, which is a tool with the power to both build and destroy, just like cyberspace. Um, and yeah, the, uh, across these types of associations in the, in the army culture, um, there are various, you know, medals named for saints or mythological um, uh, folks like the, the signal association has the the order of mercury um <clears throat> others um you might have heard of uh, saint barbara the order of saint barbara for example um so it's a pretty well-established tradition i, I did want to provide clarification too so um there are different types of nonprofits, many different types of nonprofits actually um all tied back to how they're structured um in accordance with the requirements of, uh, of the IRS. Um, so the MCPA is a 501c3, and that's an educational nonprofit and public charity. It's basically the, the, the most stringent and, and legit type of nonprofit charity, really, when, when you think about the, the epitome of what that is. Now, and, and that actually qualifies us for a number of different benefits from different organizations. Um, who are interested in supporting charitable nonprofits. So you had mentioned the term trade association. 
So trade association is a different type of nonprofit that doesn't have a lot of the restrictions um, on it and, and really has a different um, you know, mission, mission area. So for example, um, you might've heard of FCA, the Armed Forces Communications and Electronics Association. That is a trade association um, <clears throat> because part of their mission has to do with you know, bringing government and industry together. Uh, the MCPA, um, for example, you know, is really focused on developing the American military cyber professional and investing in the nation's future through STEM education, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. So it's, it's a very education-focused, uh, charitable-focused um, type of mission. And so that's why we structured it as a 501c3. That's good to know. Okay. So let's, yeah, let's rewind a little bit and tell me a little bit how you landed in your current role at National Defense University and what do you do there? Yeah, um, so I, I love it there. Um, so NDU is, uh, is one of those um, duty locations uh, um, for the, the very few strategists out there, those functionary 59 strategists. Um, NDU is a, is a kind of cluster area of, of where they could be stationed. Um, so it was always one of those uh, types of environments that I, I could see myself in, that I was drawn to. Um, my experience at the Naval Postgraduate School had really turned me on to the, um, to the idea of, of, of academia um, and just really loving that environment and seeing really what it could do um, for our national security um, in these types of schools, like the Naval Postgraduate School, like um, National Defense University, that, that are government schools run by DOD, or in the case, you know, NPS, the Department of the Navy. Um, so everybody's work there um, is supposed to be in support of our national security um, in, in a pretty clear kind of way. So to me, that's that's really great to have the, the kind of ROI, the return on investment, um, you know, really specified there. So, um, you know, again, the, uh, the, the, the association that I established, you know, coming out of my, my work at the Naval Postgraduate School was a very tangible good for our national security. So I really just love the idea of seeing um, other national security professionals, whether they're in the military or somewhere else in the government or, or beyond, um, really taking advantage of the opportunity to be in that academic environment and to really think through some of these really challenging, messy, wicked problems um, facing the nation, facing our alliance, facing our civilization or facing their nation. We have a lot of international officers there at the university as well. Um, and it's just really an amazing opportunity to, to really upgrade people's thinking and understanding on these topics and, and do research there. Um, and so part of the environment at NDU, National Defense University, is there's um, <clears throat> a number of different colleges. There's five colleges. Um, I'm at one of those colleges. Um, I'm at the College of Information and Cyberspace, or CIC. So, you know, again, with my focus on cyber, um, natural, natural fit for me. Um, so I originally actually got connected up with them, um, through the association, through the MCPA. Um, we would, uh, we had developed, um, 
a cyber pavilion um, at the annual AUSA Association of the U.S. Army Expo uh, for a number of years, uh, 2017 being the last one. And it was a really great, um, great endeavor. And as part of that cyber pavilion that we organized as the association, one of the organizations that we would have in, embedded in it um, was the NDU College of Information and Cyberspace. And in the first years that we did the cyber pavilion, um, it was actually still known as the iCollege or IRMC, um, IRMC being the Information Resource Management College. But in 2017, it actually um, was renamed <clears throat> by the NDAA that year to CIC or the College of Information and Cyberspace. Um, so I already had established um, relationships with the folks there. Um, they already saw my capabilities as far as what I did with Cyber Pavilion um, and the association in general. And, um, and then an opening um, came up there uh, with their position of Director of Strategic Engagement. And in that role, um, it's really a lot of the stuff that I've done with the MCPA, um, but doing it on behalf of the, uh, of the college. So a lot of um, organizing um, events of strategic importance, um, you know, negotiating um, different agreements or MOUs, MOAs, um, bringing VIPs together um, and other thought leaders to really focus on some, uh, some very difficult issues um, facing our nation. So it was actually a really perfect fit for, uh, for what I had already demonstrated that I could do, um, what I really enjoyed doing, and really my, my focus area for, for my professional life um, with regards to, uh, to, to growing out the, the, the bench of military cyber professionals and, and those kind of in the, in the broader community of interest. What are some things that people can do who listen to this that, that to get involved with what is happening at National Defense University or with uh, with MCPA? How can they join and get involved with that? Sure. Um, so with the MCPA, um, and also again, just to clarify, it is a non-federal entity, so uh, it is not associated with the part of the U.S. government, including NDU. Um, and that's the case for all associations, although some um, will allow people to, to believe otherwise. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so for the MCPA, um, it's actually free to join for all government employees, whether they're uniformed or civilian at the federal and state level. So that way we have the National Guard um, integrated in there and in, in a very inclusive environment of, uh, of the total force. Um, it's also free to join for honorably discharged veterans of, of the US military. Um, with joining, uh, there's invitations to all kinds of different events, uh, whether it's chapter level events or, um, or national events. Um, we've had a number of events um, this past year coming out of COVID. Like I mentioned, our first national convention, HammerCon, um, which happens in Laurel, Maryland, in the vicinity of Fort Meade, um, over at Capital Technology University. Um, really great event that I hope everybody will look forward to and put on their calendars for Thursday, the 18th of May. And actually, 
the evening before that at Dreamport um, over in Columbia, Maryland, will be a pre-Hammercon social um, hosted by, by the folks over there, um, which is really a, an, an awesome organization, awesome event too. <clears throat> um, there is a number of different um, other benefits for members. Uh, for example, there's the opportunity to, to buy the Cyber Single Barrel Bourbon. Uh, which uh, usually sells out pretty fast. Um, so that's, that's always a favorite um, amongst folks. Um, there's also opportunities to, to get involved with uh, all kinds of different initiatives, um, whether it's some of our publications like the, the magazine or the peer-reviewed journal uh, that we have called Military Cyber Affairs, both of which um, really do impact policy and thinking out there. Um, which is always really, uh, really gratifying to, to see that. Um, there's a lot of STEM education uh, related activities at the chapter levels. Um, some of what we've really started to lean into also has been engagement with the hacker community, particularly through DEF CON, the world's largest hacker convention out in Vegas every summer. Um, we've been able to uh, successfully leverage some uh, some important relationships there. So we, uh, we host a, an annual uh, national service panel um, to really get the word out um, to the hacker community about different opportunities uh, for national service across the, uh, the government. And that's been going on for a few years now. And uh, in this past year, actually, we hosted the, uh, the arcade party, which is a, a really awesome uh, and big and very popular um, DEFCON party. Um, so for anybody who enjoys um, old school arcade games and all, they, they're very welcome to, uh, to help with that. Um, of course, also looking for any kind of sponsors um, and grants. Um, so if anybody is interested in helping out with that or, or recruiting maybe the organization that they're currently at, um, to come on as a sponsor, um, that would be greatly appreciated because, of course, it takes uh, resources, um, finances to, to do all these amazing things that we're doing. Uh, some of those sponsors, currently national sponsors, are, are Google, um, Lockheed Martin, Cisco, Virginia Tech, NYU, um, IDS International, and Nutanix. <clears throat> And, uh, and a number of different partners, um, of course, the intelligence community. Uh, thank you very much, Graham, for that. The Cyber Patriot Program with the Air Force Association um, and Cybersecurity Forum Initiative. Um, and over at NDU at the National Defense University College of Information and Cyberspace, um, there's actually a lot of um, really amazing opportunities for those who are employees of the Department of Defense, whether you're military or civilian. Um, there is, of course, the full-time 10-month in-resident MS program that's, uh, that's, um, that's really selected, very highly selective and, um, and uh, centrally selected, actually, is, is a typical term. And that's a, a, war, that's a proper war college program, joint professional military education phase two. Um, if anybody's interested in that, they need to inquire with their, their home organization. And that's really at that GS um, 1415-0506 um, level. So that's for a relatively small audience. For a, a much broader audience um, is actually what we call 
over at CICU, the cyber workforce programs, which are all remote, part-time and, and, and self-nominated and tuition-free for DOD employees, uniformed or civilian. And that's open to, um, to GS-13s, Warrant Officer 3, um, O4s and above or equivalent and above um, and exceptions to policy um, uh, considered on a case-by-case -case basis. So get a lot of questions about that. If somebody is an O3, high-speed O3 or high-speed senior NCO, um, we, we do look at those on a case-by-case -case basis. So you're definitely encouraged to, to still apply. A number of really amazing um, accredited graduate school programs. Um, there's a master's program. There's a number of graduate certificates, which are kind of like mini master's degrees um, that take about half the, the time and, and courses to, uh, to knock out. Um, not, those are not industry certifications, um, those are graduate certificates. Um, and we have those in areas like cyber leadership, um, CIO, CISO, CISO, um, CFO, uh, CDO, um, Chief Data Officer, um, and also IT program management. Um, there is also a couple um, um, leadership development programs or LDPs. Um, the one that we have had for a number of years has been CIO focused. Um, and we have a new one coming up this coming fall in 2023 that's cyber focused. So it should be very, very interesting um, to see that program develop. Um, as well. I definitely know that there's a high demand out there for, for such programs. Um, and those LDPs are, are very prestigious um, in-resident, on-site, 14-week um, programs that are also tuition-free, but um, there typically is a, a TDY cost uh, for your organization associated with it. Um, and also to clarify, um, NDU and, and our campus is in the heart of Washington, D.C., um, on historic Fort McNair. It's a really beautiful waterfront um, campus. And, um, and really anybody who's interested should check out the website, cic.ndu.edu. And there is also information about a monthly uh, virtual open house for prospective students, um, which actually I, I typically lead and provide an organizational overview and information about the different programs and all. So a lot of a lot of great stuff happening there too. That's great. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, MDU is a great <clears throat> location and venue. It's I've been there many times and attended a lot of events. It's close to National Stadium and the wharf and, and everything. So yeah, a lot, opportunity. a lot of uh, a lot of what we do, um, you know, in addition to uh, in the classroom is also, um, like you said, hosting different events. Um, I've had the, the great privilege of, of being a fly on the wall uh, to to a lot of really really interesting events, um, you know, put on by the uh, U.S. Cyber Command or the Cyberspace Solarium Commission or um, OSD Research and Engineering or the uh, the National Cyber Director's Office up in the White House. Really, just really interesting stuff that that we're able to to bring together there. That's great. All right. Well, any final thoughts for those who are listening? Any podcasts you recommend or books that you've read or daily activities that you think everyone should do? Um, well, as far as podcasts, there there is the MCPA's podcast called Mill Cyber Sync. 
um, yeah, put on by, uh, by Navy cryptologist, um, Nick Thomas, um, uh, who's a really great, uh, great member of the team. Um, there's of course, uh, plenty of different articles always coming out from publications associated with the association as well. Um, in cyber magazine, which, uh, which folks are also encouraged to, uh, to consider sitting down and, and writing, um, really to provide their insights and ideas out there for the broader, um, community to, to really chew on and, and think about. Um, and of course there's a peer reviewed journal, like I mentioned, military cyber affairs as well. Um, and, uh. And besides that, um, oh, there, there is, of course, also um, a lot of great stuff happening over at the Institute of World Politics, um, where I also adjunct teach um, a course called Cyber Strategy Development, uh, both at the master's and, and doctoral level. Um, and that's really a, a cool organization as well, almost like a mini NDU that's uh, civilian, um, not part of the government. Um, but has a very similar mission and being very strategic um, and policy oriented as well. Um, and do a lot of uh, a lot of fun gatherings there too, like the uh, Cyber Embassy Night, where we recently had the, the brand new uh, U.S. Cyber Ambassador, Nate Fick, uh, speak um, with an audience of, of mostly um, his peers and colleagues from different allied nations there. So really, really cool organization that I would encourage folks to uh, to check out as well. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us today, Joe, and talking about uh, MCPA and NDU and, and IWP and all those. So if people want to reach out to you, uh, can they reach you on LinkedIn? Yeah, yeah, that's that's really the best way for me. Okay. Excellent. And through the website for MCPA, I assume. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot. Have a good one. You too. Thank you so much, Graham, for everything you do. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. I'm Graham Plaster, and you've been listening to the Graham Plaster Podcast. Get show notes and more at grahamplaster.com.